listening to the podcast Biblical Question. We're excited that you've taken time out of your day to download our podcast and to listen to us. We certainly hope and pray that Christ would be glorified, you as our listener would be edified. For more information about us, we please ask that you please go to our webpage at biblicalquestion.com, all one word, all lowercase. There you can find out a lot more information about us. There's a prayer request page. We get a lot of hits on that. If you do have a prayer request, please go to our webpage and submit it. We'd be happy to post it. We have hundreds of people around the globe who do check that out. And we do also post a prayer request if you want us to on our social media accounts. And there you can also find links to that on our webpage as well. Today we're going to talk about what happens at the crucifixion of Jesus. And if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it and follow along. If you do not, and you have access to the internet while you're listening to this podcast, again, on our webpage, you can click on the daily Bible verse. That will take you to a, excuse me, a, a Bible webpage where you can use any version that you prefer and any language they have lots of them. And so they do not sponsor us, and I'm not giving them uh, an endorsement per se. I just know it's a tool out there uh, that's free and available. I'd encourage you, if you have the money and the resources, and it is safe in where you're at to buy a Bible, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, I think at some point in time, the government could shut off the Internet, and you would not be able to read your Bible or listen to it. And so... I would encourage you to do that. Uh, the, uh, at the crucifixion, there's going to be five things, that, uh, events, miracles. Uh, some people uh, try to explain these things away. and But we're going to look at what's happened at the crucifixion of Jesus until his resurrection. And so if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to uh, open it. And we're going to do a lot of uh, reading today as well. So uh, if you're able to or want to, I'd put the pause button and open it and put the play button back on. Uh, grab. I know people take notes, and we have several people who have emailed and asked permission to use this for their Bible study because uh, they cannot afford one in their little churches. And that's great. I, I think it's really neat. So, And we're honored. The first event that will take place that we're going to talk about would be the darkness on the whole earth. And let's read this. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the over all the land until the ninth hour. Now Mark 15, 33 says, And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Luke 23, verse 44, and the first part of 45, says this. That's Luke 23, 44, and the first part of verse 45. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, and the sun was darkened. Now, again, many people try to figure out I don't know if they think it's logical in their mind to do that, um, uh, form a non-belief. They didn't read the text close enough. 
I'm not sure. And so this has kind of got me kind of studying as well. I thought this was kind of a neat little topic. And so uh, many people will say this was simply uh, an eclipse of the sun to try to explain this event away. They say it was only confined to the area of Jerusalem itself or Judea and the rest of the world. I did not see this darkness, but if you read the text, it says, it says the entire uh, world was darkened, the entire earth. So, and if you kind of look at how many uh, hours this was, from the sixth hour to the, you know the ninth hour, and so let's look at this. First of all, about a a a, um, a solar eclipse, Passover always occurs during a full moon. A solar eclipse can only occur during a new moon. And there's no astronomy-type records of the time that talk about a solar eclipse. Scripture says again that the darkness lasted for three hours, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. Well, that was Roman's way of time in that day of a telling time, which would be from noon to 3 p.m., the longest ever recorded total, total solar eclipse is only about seven minutes long, and the average one lasts less than three. And I've seen many of those. They don't really last that long. Uh, and a total one, I've been in it once or twice in my lifetime, different parts of the world. And again, they, they just they last a very short time. Look again, look at Luke 23, verse 44 clearly tells us that this is a supernatural darkness that, that covered the whole earth. Now, there's two Greek historians. And from that time frame, they, they, they lived it, and they wrote about a worldwide darkness. There's something to bear in mind about these two men. They were, they were not Christians. They were pagan, uh, non-believers. And so their writings are not recorded to try to defend Scripture. The first was men by uh, the name of Thalus, uh, T-H-A-L-L-U-S. And he was alive at the time of the crucifixion. And when he wrote in his book uh, titled The Third History, around uh, AD 52, that this is a quote, a, a total darkness, totally covered the land at the time of the Passover. And he he's, continues on and says, on the whole world there was pressed a most fearful darkness. Okay, so uh, he is making it pretty clear that this was, darkness was beyond the uh, city limits of Jerusalem or Judea area. The second one was a Greek uh, writer and, and I can't pronounce his name. Yeah, I will spell it P-H-L-E-G-O-N. And he will live near Ephesus. And if you have a Bible with maps in it, most Bibles do, you'll see Ephesus is quite a ways away from Jerusalem uh, or Judea area. And in his collection of the Olympians in the Chronicles, and he quotes him saying, At the sixth hour a day was turned into dark night, so that the stars in the heavens were seen, end quote. So he not only writes about the darkness 
the, the same six hours recorded in, in the Bible, uh, the Romans also recorded this as they were known to record events of their empire. Their Roman history is very well recorded of the different things that took place. And again, you can do a simple search on the internet uh, with your favorite search engine and see and read about these people. Now, here's something interesting with the Bible or Scripture. Amos, turn your Bible there with me if you have one. Amos chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. Amos will prophesy about this darkness about 750 years before the birth of Christ. And it says here, verse 8, And it will come about on that day, declares the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark and broad daylight. Then I will turn your festivals into mourning and all your songs into a song of mourning. And I will put sackcloth on everyone's waist and baldness on every head. And I will make it like a time of mourning, only sun, for an only sun, excuse me, at the end of it will be like a bitter day. Okay, so again, this was a an event. Um, some people might use supernatural uh, darkness in this term, but it was over the, the entire earth, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. There was no order, this was no ordinary darkness. As one historian said, a great and fearful darkness. Okay, I slowed down that on purpose. A great and fearful darkness. The reason, as stated, could only be, could not be, could not be from an eclipse. Jesus was on the cross from the third hour uh, to the ninth hour. That would be 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And for the final three hours, Jesus was dying. He claimed and was and is the light of the world. And all of creation was mourning for him as he was dying. Except the men who preferred darkness. You know, and John, the apostle, writes about that in, in John chapter 3, in a conversation between uh, Jesus and Nicodemus, and when Jesus declares himself as the light of the world and says men love darkness more than they do light. So the second thing is Jesus uh, will, gave up his spirit. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 50, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and gave up his spirit. You can also find this in Mark chapter 15, verse 37, Luke 23, verse 46, and John 19, 30. All the gospel accounts, they, they are quoted in saying that Jesus gave up his spirit. And so Jesus gives up his spirit. What does that mean? Well, it means he died. He died physically. Uh, he himself gave up his life for you and me and for all of those in the world for the forgiveness of sins. Now, no man took it. And somebody's going to email me and say, well, he's was crucified. It's a form of execution. Absolutely true. Uh, but think about this. He did, died precisely at the time that he wanted to die. He is in complete control here. 
He died precisely at the ninth hour. That would be 3 p.m. And this was perhaps to obey the law, for this was the time of the sacrifice of the Passover lambs. Find that interesting. I do. I, when you know, study a little bit of Jewish history, what was going on, and at 3 o'clock uh, in the afternoon, that's when they would slaughter uh, the evening lamb, and this is when Jesus uh, died, exactly at that time. Now, there's a Roman uh, centurion in Mark 15, uh, verse 39. He's going to recognize this miracle and how Jesus determined his time of death. Again, Mark 15, verse 39. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up his spirit, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The third thing would be that the, the temple, the veil at the temple was torn. There was a curtain there. So in Matthew 27, verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Mark fifteen thirty-eight, as well as Luke 23, verse 45, they record the tearing of the veil. Uh, John apparently did not, couldn't find it. So uh, at the time that Jesus died again, the veil of the temple was torn in two pieces in the middle from and top to bottom. And this veil was to symbol this uh, separation between the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And the the high priest could only go into this place of holy of holies one time a year and that would be the day of atonement and you can read all about the day of atonement if you wish in exodus chapter 30 and it starts around verse 10 but at this time that it was torn the ninth hour or 3 p.m again this is the exact hour of the jews and their sacrifice of their passover lambs and the veil was torn from the top to the bottom as it was done by God. And it shows uh, the access to him was, was now not just for the high priest once a year, but for all believers at any time of the day or night and throughout the entire year through his son, Jesus. Okay, so at the top to the bottom, start except high with God and comes down to man and tears it. And if you would really study out uh, the book of Hebrews, all true Christians are priests. Um, there, is, there was no indication uh, that animal sacrifices are no longer needed. Again, the book of writer of Hebrews says the ultimate sacrifice is in Jesus, or um, he would be our Passover lamb, and that he made all things complete. Again, the veil is a reminder that we as sinners, were separated from God. And now we as sinners, through the blood of Jesus, have direct access to God. We can go straight to the throne room and, and pray and talk to our Lord. The veil, okay, get this. Uh, I think it's neat. Uh, the, this is according to Jewish tradition. It was about four inches thick, was at least 30 feet tall, and, and supposedly it was so strong and heavy uh, that even a team of horses could not rip it in, in two. 
It was nothing for God to tear this veil in half. I think that's really neat. The symbolism behind it, the Bible is full of this kind of stuff. And it just really, I think, gives credibility. It shows the power of the message as you study it out and read it. And, you know, I read the Bible different ways at times. And what do I mean by that? One, I, I just read it just for information, to refresh my mind, uh, for spiritual food. But then I also like to read and study it and do word studies. I try to study and learn that the uh, history that's going by, by there, uh, not just reading it like it was yesterday's sports page or just something in casual, but in-depth study of how the people thought, why they thought what they did, and the traditions uh, of the Jewish people, uh, what they were going against with the Roman occupation of their land. It really makes a, a really opens up the Bible. It really does. Okay, the fourth thing is, at the time of Jesus' death, was when he died on the cross for you and me, there was a great earthquake. And it should be noted that Jesus gave up his life and he died for us and that no one took it from him. Again, I know I've said that several times in the podcast, but I really want to stress that point. But read with me again. We've read it once. Matthew 27, verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Now, as for the centurion that we talked about and those who were uh, keeping guard over him, uh, this was not unusual. Uh, they don't want people taking people down off the cross until they're, uh, they're dead. And they were sentenced to death, and that's what they do. They sit there and they watch them and wait for them to die. And so, but Matthew 27, verse 54, this, thing, this event, this earthquake, this, the darkness, uh, all these things are happening, became very frightening. And he says, truly, this was the Son of God. Okay. Now, some people will say, oh, he confessed and can't save that moment. Well, I don't know. Um, that's between him and God. The point is, uh, he, he is recognizing the, what Jesus has been through. He knows about the trial. He knows the claims. There's a sign hanging above his head that he's the king of the Jews and, and all. And he's probably heard Jesus teaching in the Jerusalem area. So he knows who Jesus is. But now he's making this uh, proclamation of that he really, truly is God. And Jesus has claimed that he is God, and he is giving that ultimate uh, recognition that what Jesus said was true, and he's recognizing that Jesus was God or is God. This earthquake at the crucifixion, again, is also mentioned by uh, the Greek uh, writer Thias when he said that the rocks were split by an earthquake and many places in Judea and the districts were thrown down. And then the Greek, uh, or the Greek writer again says, and I can't pronounce his name, I will try, Pelagon, uh, P-H-L-E-G-O-N. For those who are taking notes, he also will write about this earthquake. And he said there was an earthquake in, in Bithynia, uh, which was overthrown many houses of the city and the city of Nicaea. So 
This was a worldwide earthquake. It was just not a local event. All the people of the earth, not just the Jews of the day or in Judea or Jerusalem, felt that earthquake. The earthquake, again, I think it shows the power of God and how they had crucified God, the Creator Himself, and He still lives and He still has the power and He's still in control. And so Jesus, uh, John chapter 1 uh, makes it very clear that Jesus is the creator of the entire universe and that he is God. And the last thing we're going to talk about here is that the graves were opened up. Again, Matthew chapter 27, verses 52 and 53. And the graves were opened up, and many bodies of the saints which were asleep arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. So God opens the graves of certain saints. And uh, I know there's a lot of confusion with that word saint, thanks to the Catholic Church, uh, that nobody can be a saint unless they say that you are. But that is simply just means you're a Christian, you're a believer uh, in Christ. And so, again, the graves were opened up. And they were they were opened up on the day of crucifixion, okay? And we read that really close, and you'll see that. But the bodies did not come out of the grave until after the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday morning. Again, here's Jesus. He's obeying the law and did not present the saints to their families before Sunday, or the Jews would have been unclean for their Passover Sabbath. And so... There's something that, you know, there's a lot of people say God can do anything, which is true. There's there's something else here. It's kind of, there's a red heron in the room. And what I mean is something is missing. Jesus claims to be a king. He's always claimed to be a king. God has always said he is. You can find that throughout the Old Testament. And I know there's a lot of people today in Christianity that doesn't believe that he's been crowned king yet, that he will do that uh, after the day of judgment. Well, uh, he's claimed to be king all along. He tells Pilate he is, he tells the Sanhedrin he is. And so a king cannot break his own law. That's, That's where I really want to go with this. And you can see this in the book of Esther really clear. Uh, when Esther goes to the king, her husband, and says, hey, uh, there's some bad things going on here with your stamp of approval. Can you change the law? And he says, no, um, a law cannot be broken. Uh, you see this with Daniel in, in, his, in his book, too. The king knows that Daniel and his friends have been set up to be thrown in the fiery furnace. But the law can't be changed. And so he has them thrown into the fire. And so you can see that throughout the Old Testament. And so Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. Jesus had to rise first before anyone else, including those whose graves were opened up. And you can read about this in, in uh, First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept, okay? All of these miracles, all these events, whatever word you want to use, I like the word miracle 
I think anything that God does is in the miraculous realm of things. And so these show that Jesus is God and that the final signs to the Jews of that day, that Jesus was truly the Messiah that they had been waiting for, that had been prophesied about, that he just didn't fit their their mindset at the day and time. Because they, they were being occupied by Rome, and they really thought that the Messiah would be like King David, be a mighty military type of leader, and they were going to overthrow Rome, and they were going to be the world power. And that was not the purpose and the role of the Messiah. Many of these miracles were done by Jesus just before his crucifixion, during the crucifixion, and in the days after his resurrection and beyond. I mean, Jesus is going to give the Jewish people 50 days after his resurrection to think about what they had seen on the cross, revealed to repent, and, and call upon the name of Jesus when Peter would speak in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And that's just the, the conception of the church, really. This is really, honestly, the beginning of the New Testament. And so, uh, just before Jesus uh, is crucified, you know, he's being arrested. Uh, Peter will come and cut off Malchus's ear at the time, and Jesus will heal his ear. You can find that in, in the John's account when Jesus is arrested in the garden prior to uh, his tr- his trials. And so, uh, and here. Another one is, is the grave clothes. I mean, they were left in the tomb uh, just as they'd been laid on Jesus and the napkin had been folded. Uh, the ultimate miracle, obviously, is the resurrection of Jesus himself on the third day, showing all of us who study this out that he is God. Only God can raise from the dead and only God could raise himself from the dead. And so... This gives me, it should give you, that hope of eternal life that someday we too will walk out of our grave into the arms of Jesus and have eternal life with him. Again, we're, we're all been provided this time while we're here on earth to, to repent of our sins, call upon his name, and believe in the good news. His resurrection was the defeat of the evil one, and shows that he really, truly is God. Again, let us not be like most of the Jews. I didn't say all, but most of the Jews at the time of Jesus who rejected the good news and the message. Somebody's asked me many times, I've heard this question, well, if I was alive in the time of Jesus, I would have believed would you have? I don't know that. You don't know that. There's a lot of fake news in the time of Jesus as well there is today. And so, would you believe that? There's a lot of misinformation even today about who Jesus is, uh, his, his life, that he really perform all these signs and wonders. I mean, one has to just sit down and personally study this stuff out. And and read the Bible, and read the scriptures, and pray about it. And I truly believe if you do that, you will find all of this to be true. 
And, of course, I've mentioned this many times in other podcasts. This is, I call it the acid test, where people were really, truly willing to die, give up their life, livelihood to follow Jesus. Uh, many people were martyred after the day of Pentecost for believing and teaching in Jesus. Many were thrown in jail, uh, lost their livelihood. And you have to ask yourself, those people who actually saw those events, they saw the miracles, they saw the dead being risen, the feeding of many, many people, the 5,000, you have to ask yourself, uh, the demons being cast out, did they see something and they saw these events unfold in front of them? They watched the crucifixion. They saw uh, an empty grave. And I would think that the evidence being weighed by somebody who truly knew the scriptures and studied it out would say, Jesus is the Messiah. He is God. And this is what we need to do. We need to listen to their testimony. Um, You know, we use this term, uh, let me give you the... uh, an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. I'm going to witness to you. Well, you, first of all, would that would be hearsay in most courts of law because you're going off of the testimony of those of the first century. You're believing what they're saying uh, under this acid test idea, and if they were willing to suffer and die and give up their livelihood for it, then it has, to, has some weight to it. The people in the Western world are really kind of spoiled in a lot of ways. We we really haven't faced deep persecution as some people in the world today do. Uh, there are people today, more people I've read, are being persecuted for believing in these events than even in the first century, even in the second century. And so why are these people willing, even today, willing to die for a message? And the answer has to be they truly believe the evidence. They have studied it out. They believe it. They see it. And, and they, they understand it. And that's my hope for all of us who listen, that we'd all take time each day to listen uh, to God. And how do we do that? We open up the Bible and we read His Word. And so if you don't have a Bible again, I'd encourage you to get one if you can afford one, if you can do so uh, Safely, I know many people who have Bibles, they hide them uh, because they're afraid of family members, of the uh, politics of the day, and they read in secret. And so uh, we, we get lots of emails from people such as this. And we, we pray for the church each and every day. We, we pray especially for those who are persecuted. And I would hope everybody listening to this podcast would do that. Pray for the persecution, uh, persecuted Christians, that these people would be able to endure it and keep their faith, and God would, God would help them. And so, continue, please, to pray for this podcast that we can actually put podcast out each and every week. That we'll have the resources, the time, and the energy to be able to do all this, as well as uh, the money to pay for it. Again, we we thank you for listening. May God bless you, and may He have the glory.